Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. Friends, our greetings from our Twane Church. It's my first time preaching in Rosebank, so I had the 12 o'clock and now the 5 o'clock. Um, and so, like I said, at the 12 o'clock as well, it's like when you preach at a wedding, you only you only plan to preach once, right? So you can, you can almost say anything you want. Um, but no, I'm excited about the word for tonight. Um, like you said, my name is Yaku. I am married to Rihet, who was on the screen, um, and we were here yeah, earlier. Uh, she had to, we have a German student with us for a couple of months, and she had to take him back just to be at, at our five o'clock service tonight back in Centurion. Um, but it really is a privilege for me, and I do count it a huge honor just to be able to share the word with you guys tonight. Um, you're starting a new series tonight, this week and next week, called Outrageous Love. And this series is about uh, stirring faith for the call of church planting, campus ministry, and world missions. All right? Now, that should excite you a little bit. So whether you're new to every nation or whether you've been here for years, part of the furniture, um, before all of this was fancy. Uh, that's a long time ago, right? Um, that this call of God to partner with Him to see the nations being changed, to see our communities and our cities being transformed, it should be something that stirs in your heart and say, yeah, I want to be part of that. Um, and when we walk out these doors, whether it's on a Sunday night or when you go to work on a Monday to a Friday, and we walk through the streets of Joburg or wherever you live, something inside of you should be shouting, this has got to change. Um, we don't need to walk far to see that everything in the world is not as it should be, right? And, and then this mission that God has called us for as His church should be something that causes you to jump up and down and say, there's actually a solution to what's wrong in the world. And, and this series is about connecting again to that mission. But before we can say yes to God's outrageous love mission to the world, we need to understand His outrageous love mission to each and every one of us. That there's a mission of God to each and every one of us. And then as we receive that mission, as we respond to God's mission to me, I then accurately get to respond to the mission to the world. So we're going to go into a, a passage of scripture in John chapter 4. So you can page there, John chapter 4. Um, some of you who know your Bibles will know that that's the story where Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well. And it's an incredible story. We can spend weeks just delving into this portion of Scripture, but we, are not, we haven't got weeks, right? Um, we've got work tomorrow. But they, um, what's the curfew time now with, after the president spoke? 11, so we've got till 11. Okay, that's good. Um, five hours. We were at a wedding last week, Friday, which was literally the Friday before the, sun, the, the Sunday that the president made the announcement, and, and we still had to leave like at half, like just after nine, um, which is, which is weird for us Afrikaans people and probably for all of you as well. Like we, we hardly got to Soki and then we had to go home. So we've got till 11. Um, but this story starts with verse 3 and 4. And it says, he left, so speaking about Jesus, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Um, and it's an interesting choice of words there. He needed to go to Samaria. And if we look at this map, so that would be the, the direction that they would be traveling in. 
And um, as we see, there's Samaria in the middle, but that wouldn't be the path that they would normally take as Jews. They would go around Samaria, avoiding going through Samaria. So there was no real physical need for Jesus to travel through Samaria, or not even a logistical need, but this was spiritual. There was a mission connected to this need that Jesus responded to, to meet with the Samaritan woman at the well. And we're going to take some things from this encounter and I want to encourage you, we're not going to be able to go into the, the full expository of the whole text, so go and spend some time on it in the week as well, and I'm, I'm sure the Holy Spirit will also speak to you what He wants to come and minister into your life tonight. Um, but we're going to draw some principles that I believe are important for us as the church as we respond to God's call to reach the nations, to see our communities transformed. So before we continue, I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you that we can gather tonight, Lord. Thank you for just um, some of the restrictions that have been lifted and enabling us to, to build community again. Just being aware, Lord, of how precious spiritual community is to you and to us. Father, I pray that as we get into your word tonight, Lord, that you will come and break it open to our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you'll make it known to our minds and our hearts, Lord, the things that are on your heart. We sang that song, Lord, that we surrender all. And we want to continue that now as we get into your word. It's not just a song, Lord. It's not just word play for us. We want to come and bring our lives, Lord, under the authority of your scripture. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read quite a, 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 I'm going to read a big, big chunk of scripture from John chapter 4, but not all of it. Um, so do follow with me. John chapter 4, I'm going to read from verse 5 to 26. I've got the New King James with me. Um, but whatever translation you've got with you, that's okay. So, from verse 5. So he, again speaking about Jesus, came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Jesus said to her, for he says, give me a drink. The, the lighting is different than it was this afternoon. So my Bible has got Jesus' words in red. I'm like, Jesus said to her, what? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never, be, will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you have spoken truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. 
at changing the tone of the conversation. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Now, from this story, we, we actually see this woman responding, and that whole village or town comes to salvation. Um, and, and in the Bible, she's the first evangelist that runs into a town with this crazy story of a man who told her everything that she had ever done. But there's a couple of things to this story that I think are important for us to really understand the depth of Jesus' encounter with this woman at the well. If we take a little journey down memory lane, then we'll, we'll get to understand who the Samaritan peoples were, were, well, still are, although they're a very small group that remain. But who were they? How did they come to be the people who they are? How did they come to think and believe the way that they think and believe? And it started in 721 BC, all right? So going all the way back when the Assyrians took captivity of the northern territory of Israel. Um, and then they sent away most of the Jewish people. So they sent most of them away. A small remnant remained. And then the Assyrians would add other minority groups to Samaria to basically make up a population. But all these minority groups would then have their different practices, their different beliefs, but intentionally minority groups from all over so that there won't be an uprising again against the Assyrians. And we read about that in 2 Kings 17. Now, what happened with all of these different people, there was turmoil in the land. So we read about lions attacking people, um, almost as punishment for the people not worshipping God. So the Jewish people were complaining to the king of Assyria, saying, all of these things are happening, these bad things in the land are happening, because these people that you've brought in, they do not believe the same that we believe. They do not worship the same that we worship. Um, and the king then commissioned some of the Jewish priests who were sent out to go back and start ministering to the Samaritans in the hope that they would be changed. But it didn't quite fix the problem. So what happened is these people now adopted a hybrid form of theology. So they took on parts of these Jewish teachings from the Torah and the rest of the scriptures, but they also held on to all of their pagan beliefs and their pagan ways of worship and their pagan ways of making sacrifices. And, and this formed this mixed breed of theology, this mixed breed of belief system. And then the Jews in, this, in these pagan nations would also intermarry and they were now half Jew, half Gentile. Um, and this, the, the Jewish people actually referred to them as dogs. Right, so that's how these people were formed. Now if we forward a bit to 536 BC, when the temple in Jerusalem was rebuilt for the second time after it was broken down, the Samaritans approached the Israelites and said, we are the same people, we worship the same God, we would love to build the temple with you so that we also have a place where we can worship our God together. Um, and it reads, this you find in Ezra chapter 4, 
Just let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do, and we have sacrificed to him since the days of a big king named Esharadon. I don't know if that's the right pronunciation. King of Assyria. Hmm? Sounds good. Who brought us here. Um, and then the Jewish people just said, no, we're not going to build together. Um, you may do nothing with us to build a house for our God, but we alone will build the Lord God, will build the house for the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. So first, they were the group that has now been exiled. They've been forming this mixed breed of people. They're not welcome to build a temple with them. They're not good enough, worthy enough to build this temple with them. They don't serve the same God according to the Jewish people, and therefore they're excluded from worshiping God together. So then we get to 450 BC, and this is almost like a natural response. They have a desire to worship. They're not allowed to worship with the Jews in Jerusalem, so they will build their own temple. And this happened then at Mount Gerizim, where they built their own temple, their own place of worship. Um, and then what followed was in 122 BC, the formation of the Samaritan Pentateuch, or their doctrine, their theology. Um, and that's important, because, you see, all of us were created to worship. You will worship. God designed you that way, that you were designed to worship something or someone. And our worship is an expression of what we believe internally. Our identity, our core worth, our value. And that is formed within our theology or our doctrine. So now the Samaritan people had a worship expression that was contrary to the Jewish scriptures. So they were forced in a way to now create their own doctrine to validate their way of worship. To validate that they are also a people who are belonging to God. That they are also a people who are worth worshiping to God. That it's not just the Jewish people. And then we get to the last part, 112 B.C., where the Jewish army went through the land and they destroyed the temple. They destroyed the temple at Mount Gerizim. Um, and this just adds to this animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. Like, why, would, why did they not get along? Why would they not even share the same utensils? And we see in this story, almost like where Jesus now speaks to the Samaritan woman, and she says to him, you Jews say we must worship in Jerusalem, but we worship there. And she was most probably able to point towards that mountain where their temple used to be. But it's not there because you people broke it down. Again, adding to that, that devaluation of them as a people. So there's a couple of principles that I want us to, to gather from this. And then we're going to get practical as a church. Are you guys ready for that? Right, that's good. Like I said earlier, we were made to worship. Um, you will worship something. All of us have an intrinsic design, desire by God to worship. But worship is a response to theology. Because your theology creates your identity. Identity gives birth to your purpose. Um, as long as we try to, through our purpose, discover our identity, we're doing it the wrong way, wrong way around. That then I am what I do versus I do because of who I am. But who you are, your worth, comes from what you believe. Your views about God, your views about the world, your views about yourself. Um, but the Jewish people took a different approach. And you can put the next slide on the board. So this is like a, a process that we see happening here. So the Jewish people were expecting the Samaritans to behave a certain way. Or they were excluded from belonging to 
the Jewish people because of some externals, whether it was that they didn't believe the same thing or they didn't dress the same way or they didn't eat the same stuff, whatever it might have been, but there were some external behaviors that excluded the Samaritan people from belonging with the Jewish people. Then they went into the land and they tore down the false place of worship, the temple, which is good, right? I mean, we should break down the false places of, of worship. Um, we, we spoke about this now tonight as well, that if we're worshiping anything else, may we just lay it down. But it's not always that simple, is it? <laughs> it's not always that simple. So the Jewish people went through the land and they tore down the temple, the place of worship. But remember, worship is a response to theology. They broke down the temple, but they never restored the theology. They never restored worth to people. So the only thing that will logically follow is they will just erect other places of worship. And then the caution from this story for the church today is that society is wired in exactly the same way. You go to school, you perform well, then you get to be become part of whatever the cool club is in school, and then ultimately you belong. If you work hard, there's a reward. If you work hard, you get a promotion. If you, um, parents often apply this to their children as well. If you eat all your vegetables, vegetables, then you can get a cookie. <laughs> and it's almost like our behavior validates ultimately whether we get to become part of whatever this is so that we can belong. And, and we want to belong. Friends, we want to belong. One of the things that I had to struggle with the most was my addiction to approval. Um, and that addiction to approval would lead me into doing many things that, I, that my conscience wouldn't agree with, that my value system wouldn't agree with, but I had this deep longing to belong, to fit in somewhere. Now, if we're not careful, the church can make the same mistake. The church can fall into the same trap of dealing with people in the same way where we say when you behave a certain way, when you act a certain way, then you can become part of the church and then only do you belong. But that, part, that type of mindset is a very insecure mindset because then your belonging is always connected to your performance. So just don't put a step out. Don't miss a Sunday. <laughs> don't miss your Bible reading. Don't forget to tithe. And then your belonging is always connected to your performance. So behave a certain way, dress a certain way, speak a certain way. But the problem is that throughout history, and I'm, I'm not speaking about the, the, a specific church or a denomination, but the just church history, if we read our history books, that the church has often created behavioral barriers that has kept people from connecting with God. And it's behavioral barriers or principles or structures that we put in place that the Bible never did. Stuff that we almost put in front people as a hurdle, so like cross this hurdle or tick this box, and then ultimately you get to belong. And we lay down certain practices and expectations, um, and we celebrate behavior more than heart motivation that changes. It's, it's easier. <laughs> like if you lead a small group or a discipleship group, and you can come back to your, maybe your group leader next week and like, my guys are growing, how do you know that? They're reading the Bible more. You see them in Sunday. You see them at church every Sunday. They started serving somewhere in church. They don't swear anymore, at least not in front of me. It's, it's almost like that's a, a badge we give ourselves. Like you won't, I'm growing in my evangelism at my workplace. 
They don't use the name of Jesus in front of me anymore. I don't think that's a win, necessarily. But they stop smoking, and we do all of these external behavior measurements to validate whether people are growing. Um, and we celebrate the behavior change more than life transformation or heart motivation. And apart from heart motivation, there's no sustainable Christianity. If your heart doesn't change, if your longing for God doesn't change, if something inside of you isn't transformed, which is supernatural, then you will always have to sustain your Christianity. And friends, that is super tiring. And then we find ourselves from a space of um, performing, like doing really well as a Christian, and then you have a bad weekend, and then you rebel against God, and then you feel guilty, and you start reading your Bible more, and you somehow come to all four services. But no one can keep that up, because your heart has never changed. So there needs to be a heart motivation that takes place. And then what happens is we, we cause certain exclusions in the church that ostracize people from Christian community and from worshiping together. And, and this might look like this, that if, we, if we're not on the same paycheck level, um, I don't think we'll be able to worship together that well. If we don't look the same with our skin color, not sure if we're going to blend that well. If we don't come from the same cultural background, I'm not sure whether we'll mix that well when we worship. I'm from, I'm from Centurion, you're from Joburg. I'm not sure. There's a little bit of differences. And, and we put in certain barriers that, that the gospel doesn't. And, and then we also elevate some sins above others. Like some sins that are socially acceptable are okay in the church. Like you've got someone that's serving somewhere and he's actually got a drinking problem and he's very verbally abusive to his spouse. But it's okay because he's growing. Remember, we all have our faults, brothers. <laughs> then there's someone that maybe um, leads worship, but he has a sexual relationship with his partner. But it's okay because we, have, we don't have a lot of worship leaders. You can even have an affair in church because there's grace. As long as you're not gay. So we create these barriers to belonging that the Bible doesn't. So the result is then, and this is what we see in, in society today very, very, very evidently, is that people are forced to create their own places of worship. Because we will worship. Whether it's your work, whether it's your career journey, whether it's your salary, whether it's relationships you find yourself in, you will worship, and now because we've created these barriers from connecting with God, people are forced to erect their own places of worship, and then also they'll create their own ideologies, their own doctrine. Um, and it's scary actually today that whatever you want to achieve in life, whatever your desire in your heart is, whatever you want to accomplish, you'll find a book or a resource or a theology that justifies that. You really want to get divorced? There's most probably a book in Qum that says it's okay. You want to live a life that's all about you and your best life now? There's most probably a book like that in, in Qum. You don't want to participate in the mission of God and, and share the gospel with others? There's most probably a book in Qum with, with that title as well. But then in the secular side as well, you, there's so many resources available to help you define your own identity. There's so many things out there available to help you discover your true self and your true inner worth um, through whatever practice it might be. But people are forced to now write a doctrine to validate worship. Because doctrine produces worship. Your theology will produce 
worship. So what is the role then for us as the church? And we go back into Jesus' story, the way that he interacted with the Samaritan woman. The first thing is he was super intentional. Jesus was intentional. He diverted from the normal plan to go through Samaria to meet with the woman at the well. And in the same way for us as the church, where has God positioned you already? I think sometimes when we think about the mission field and we think about the call to go to the nations, it's like, man, it's COVID and I can't get a passport right now and it's difficult and it's expensive. Your mission field is where you live. Your mission field is where you work. And I think when we start to align our lives with the fact that God has placed us on mission with Him, there's an intentionality that is birthed to say, God, I'm living within my mission field. Help me to see why I'm here. Help me to be intentional. Help me to stop at the well for that one woman. The second thing Jesus did is he restored her theology. Her worth. So not only was this woman rejected by the Jewish people as a Samaritan, but she was rejected by her own people. She was drawing water in the middle of the day, not in the morning when it was logically sensible and with the other woman, but on her own. And this desire we see in our hearts, like, sir, give me this water so that I don't have to come here all the time to drink water. And there's so much locked up in that woman's backstory with the amount of affairs that she's had and her background that she's been excluded from even connecting in her own people group. But Jesus, the purest form of theology, God himself steps into her story and says, I know that they have said that you guys are not good enough to worship with them, but I say you are. I know that your own people have rejected you, but I've stepped into your story. I'm connecting with you. And I love this about the gospel. You see, it's God is here and we are here. We're always trying to connect with God. We're trying to make our way back to God. And sometimes we get super close and then sometimes we just really mess up. But Jesus does this. He says, I'm coming to you. And I'm showing you, I'm, I'm, I'm embodying to you your true identity. You're worth me. You're worth my presence. Friends, you and I cannot unlock God's presence. You and I cannot read a specific verse or sing a specific song and then God says, yep, that's the one I've been waiting for. 1,000 likes and here I am. No, God chooses to reveal His presence to us. He chooses to imprint into us our true worth, our true identity, our true doctrine. And then He redeemed the true place of worship. Not here, not there, but here. You see, when our identity is restored, when our true worth is restored by Christ, worship will be the overflow. Yes, our behavior will change. It will change, friends. When you love and follow Jesus, you will obey Him. When you obey Him, there will be transformation. Our lives will not remain the same. But it starts from having a restored identity, a restored theology about who God is, who I am. And then worship is my response So Jesus modeled something different. If you go to the next slide, belong, become, behave. Jesus created a space of belonging for this woman without her life showing any deviation from the way that she lived. Jesus said, no, you belong here. And that's the story right throughout the Gospels. When Jesus called the disciples, the fishermen in Mark 1, he said, come, follow me. He didn't say, come, stop drinking and smoking, and then you can follow. No, come, follow me. I will make you become something else. Jesus is the one who changes lives. We just come. But he creates that space of belonging. 
And, and that space of belonging is not reliant on your works. It's not reliant on you doing something. It's reliant on something that He has already done. And then in the belonging, your heart starts to open up. And the gospel is able to penetrate into your soul and bring a transformation that will affect your behavior. But it's from a space of belonging. It's a space of security. And friends, when we understand that, we're not constantly living in fear of the judgment of God. I love John 3 verse 16. We all know it. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. But verse 17 says, I did not come to condemn the world. I did not come to condemn the world is the message of Jesus. But He says, whoever believes in Me is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in me is condemned already. That's our natural state. Condemned. Jesus is the way out. Jesus is the liberator of our condemnation. So the challenge for us as the church is that we are not called to just go into broken society and pinpoint everything that's wrong. You should stop doing this and you should stop doing this and you should stop doing this. The call of the church is to restore theology. It's to restore Christ to people so that their true identity can be redeemed, so that true worship can be birthed. And then this is where it gets, where it gets practical. <laughs> the call for you and me as Christians is that our lives will model what the gospel modeled to us. May we create spaces of belonging for people. Friends, I promise you that, and I think we've seen some of this in this COVID time as well, that people have a longing for connection. Some of you have friends who, who were very hard against Christianity or very skeptical against Christianity, but something in their hearts has shifted because they have a longing for connection. And if we are willing to open up our lives to create spaces of belonging for people, We'll see God come and do a transformational work in the lives of people that will restore worship. We want to see our city changed. Let's create places of belonging where people's lives can change. It's a, it's a challenging call for you and I to say, okay, God, I want my life to be a place of belonging because not everybody who comes to you are all sorted out and nice and neat. And neither are we, friends. See, some of the things that, that repels people the most about the church, and again, I'm not speaking about a church, church in general. Sometimes our church gets it wrong. Something that repels people about the church is when we pretend we've got it all together. And when we're here, we're always smiling and everything is nice and, and no one is sad and no one is angry, but we're not. <laughs> you see, the church should be full of messy people. The church should be a place where broken people can at least come and feel welcome. The church should be a place where there's a smoking corner around the side because where else should they smoke? <laughs> the goal is not behavior transform a behavior alteration. The goal of the gospel is not to just change your behavior. The goal is to bring transformation, life transformation. Behavior will come. Behavior will change when our worship is restored. And in the same way for us, May we keep the gospel what the gospel is about transformation, not just behavior alteration because that's too easy, it's too quick, but it doesn't last. The gospel is patient. And I love this about the gospel. Like I'll share two stories with you before we pray. We have a keyboard player tonight, right? 
Okay. Where's the keyboard player? Yes. You can bring the magic. That's normally when the anointing comes, right? <laughs> no pressure. Um, so you can come up. Thanks. Um, I want to share two stories with you to try and highlight the approach of the gospel. Um, and, and I think in my own life, I'm a, what's the word? Um, I come from a very traditional church background. And, and even though I'm really privileged in the way that we grew up and my exposure to church even has been very privileged, but there's still a very deep religious default in my life where I want to fall back onto works for myself. Like I have a lot less grace for myself than I have for other people. And I want to fall back onto my works. And if I didn't read my Bible this week as well as I should have, then I'm almost expecting that there's going to be a disconnect between me and God. But then I often also impose that onto others. That I'm measuring whether they're committed to Jesus by the amount of times they come to church. I'm measuring whether they're growing by the amount of swear words they use in one sentence. And I fall into the trap of saying if you behave a certain way, then it validates that you've actually become something else. And it's not always the case. People are a bit more complicated than that. I'm a bit more complicated than that. My wife and I were reaching out to a couple, a couple of years ago and they were in a relationship that wasn't that healthy. Like they'll break up and they'll come together and they'll break up and they'll come together. Who knows people like that? If it's you, don't raise your hand. Um, but this relationship wasn't super good for her. Like he was verbally abusive, emotionally abusive, not physically luckily. But it's not a good space for her to be in. Um, and, and in that space, they've had all of these compromises. So now they're constantly living with this guilt. Like we know what the right thing is, but we constantly do the wrong thing. And you carry upon yourself this condemnation of, I know my life's not right with God. But you, you, you're stuck in this relationship that's not necessarily contributing any, anything positive. And the one time we spoke to her about it and her response was, what if this type of love is the best that I'll ever get? You see, there's a theology problem, friends. And now we can say, no, but you must just stop sleeping together. Then Jesus will, you'll get, get closer to Jesus. There's a theology problem. And unless we're willing to step into the trenches with people to sort out bad theology, we'll always struggle with worship. I had a conversation in the past week with a girl that's in a relationship with another girl. And um, she's got a friend that's been really reaching out to her a lot. And when we, we spoke through some stuff, um, she actually had a boyfriend a couple of weeks ago. And it didn't go that well. But this friend of hers, and I know this friend, like she has really, really, really solid intentions. But this friend said, like, she was so happy when she now left the girlfriend and she got a boyfriend and God has sent someone over her path. And God doesn't work like that. Like the ultimate goal in life is not to be married with a heterosexual partner. The ultimate goal is Jesus. It's not like Jesus so that. No, it's Jesus. And he doesn't take one bad relationship and says, well, I know this one is bad, but at least, at least it's a guy. <laughs> they still moved in together. It was still abusive. It was still bad. But Jesus didn't say, oh, I know it's bad, but it's better. No, it's just maybe more acceptable among people. And then when that relationship broke up, she went back to the previous relationship with the girl, which is really not a great space for her. And, and her words were, 
if I could choose, I would rather be single for the rest of my life. But we have this need for connection, right? We have this need to be loved. And then this friend of hers said, like, I felt like you were taking steps towards Jesus when you broke up with her. But now I feel that you've taken steps back from Jesus again, now that you're back in relationship with the girl. And, and I get what she's saying, but we're measuring behavior. Friends, God is much more patient than us. And He's not trying to win your heart so that you'll become a good and faithful tither and servant in church and maybe join a mission. He's fighting for your heart for eternity's sake. And if it takes Him 20 years to get there, He's patient. Will we be patient too? Will we create room for people to discover Jesus in a real way so that their lives can be transformed so that worship will be restored? I promise you, when we do it that way, lives will change. When we try to change the behavior, we get tired. We get frustrated. I'm trusting that people's lives will change radically. Um, hopefully we're setting up a coffee with this girl soon to really help her understand that the love of God doesn't work the same as the love of everyone else in her life. That God doesn't withdraw when you withdraw. He presses in. That's grace. God drawing near when you withdraw, that's grace. That's Him coming close. That's the gospel coming close so that our hearts can respond. Now I want to end with this and, and offer an opportunity to, uh, for, to us to respond. Before we can respond to God's mission for the world, we need to make sure that we've responded to His mission for us. And some of you maybe still find yourself at a place where you've responded to a works-based gospel. And tonight, even as you're sitting here, you're thinking, I don't think my life with Jesus is that great because I haven't been that good a Christian this last couple of days. It doesn't work that way, friends. It doesn't work that way. We're saved not by works. <laughs> We're not saved by works. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond tonight. If you're here tonight and say, I think I've been responding to the wrong gospel. But tonight I want to respond to the gospel of grace. The gospel that creates a place of belonging for me with the one who loves me most. I want to receive that. I want you to stand. We'll make a prayer moment and it's I'll include some people in this prayer and I think some of you are standing already maybe you're not standing now because you're not born again but maybe you've drifted like Paul writes to the Galatian church who has bewitched you you started off by faith but now you are trying to be perfected by works who has bewitched you let the bewitching be lifted tonight let the condemnation be lifted tonight Anyone else that would like to join them as before we pray? Thank you. We'll pray a simple prayer, friends, and then I know there's ministry teams after the service. Um, and, and if you need to pray with someone, maybe tonight you are here and you're like, I've never really surrendered my life to Jesus. Tonight's the first time, then you need to connect with someone tonight. 
It's, it's the most glorious decision of your life, but also it's sometimes a little bit confusing. <laughs> you need someone to help you along the journey. Maybe you're here tonight and you just need to repent. Maybe you just need to be at a place tonight where you say, God, I'm sorry. I've stopped trusting in you and I've started trusting again in myself. But there is a whole team of people available tonight to minister with you. But pray this prayer with me and I'm going to ask the rest of the church to join in as well. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Thank you for pursuing my heart. Thank you for being patient with me. For not giving up. Tonight, I just surrender my heart to you. You are the Lord of my life. You are the Savior of my soul. And right now, I receive your forgiveness. I receive the cleansing of the blood of Jesus. And I want you to say, with, say this with me loudly. I declare over myself that I am a child of God. I have been made pure. I have been restored. I belong to Him. Amen. Amen. Let's give them a hand. I want to read one scripture and then I've got a, a challenge for us as the church. John 8, there's this story with Jesus and the adulterous woman. Um, and they bring her out and they're ready to stone her. And then they're like, okay, Jesus, so the scripture says this, what do you say? And then Jesus has this beautiful moment where he asks a question and he writes in the sand. And it's a lot of mystery around what he wrote in the sand. But then verse 10 says, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Where are these people who have been accusing you? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Jesus restored her worth before he sent her out to change her behavior. And church, may we do the same. May our lives be places of belonging for people where their lives can encounter Jesus and he will restore the true place of worship. We're not taking away from the task of making disciples. That's not a passive task, right? Therefore, go and make disciples it's something we participate in so we're not taking away from that but may we create a space where people can belong so i want to put a, a prayer up on the board and and i want you to read through it first because sometimes we sing songs in church and we declare stuff with our mouths right and then two three four weeks later or a couple of months later jesus knocks and goes like remember that song that you sang i'm here to cash in on the promise you sang it's like, wait, what? That was just a song. <laughs> or we pray prayers and it's like filled with a faith atmosphere. And then when Jesus says, okay, I'm ready for you to become a missionary now. It's like, what? I never said that. <laughs> we sing these songs and we utter these phrases. They mean something, friends. So if you're willing to pray this, I want you to stand. But the Holy Spirit's going to keep you accountable. So on three, we're going to pray together and we're basically giving over our lives to Jesus. One, two, three. Use my life to be a place of belonging for the lost.
for those who have lost their way, who are confused, who have been hurt, those who are lonely, those who are deemed by many to be unlovable. Fill me with your love to love the way that you do. Father, I pray that you will bless your people. Lord, we know that you have commissioned your church to be your hands and your feet. And we pray, Lord, that you'll use our lives as you see fit. We count it an immense honor, Lord, to partner with you. We count it an immense honor, Lord, that you reached into each and every one of our stories and to add you to a greater story. We honor you tonight, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for this mission that you've called us to be part of. And your word says that you'll empower us by your Holy Spirit so that we'll be your witnesses. And we pray that right now. Will you come and empower your people to be your witnesses? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.